Section 24 of The Descent of Man, Part 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Descent of Man, Part 2, by Charles Darwin. Chapter 16. Birds. Concluded, Part 4. Both sexes of many birds are conspicuously, though not brilliantly, colored, such as the numerous black, white, or piebald species, and these colors are probably the result of sexual selection. With a common blackbird, capricelsiae, blackcock, black scoter duck, oedamia, and even with one of the birds of paradise, Lophorina atra, the males alone are black, whilst the females are brown or mottled and there can hardly be a doubt that blackness in these cases has been a sexually selected character. Therefore it is in some degree probable that the complete or partial blackness of both sexes in such birds as crows, certain cockatoos, storks, and swans, and many marine birds, is likewise the result of sexual selection, accompanied by equal transmission to both sexes for blackness can hardly serve in any case as a protection. With several birds in which the male alone is black, and in others in which both sexes are black, the beak or skin about the head is brightly colored, and the contrast thus afforded adds much to their beauty. We see this in the bright yellow beak of the male blackbird, in the crimson skin over the eyes of the blackcock and capercalzie in the brightly and variously colored beak of the scoterdrake, oedamia, in the red beak of the chuff, corvus graculus, of the black swan, and the black stork. This leads me to remark that it is not incredible that toucans may owe the enormous size of their beaks to sexual selection, for the sake of displaying the diversified and vivid stripes of color with which these organs are ornamented. No satisfactory explanation has ever been offered of the immense size, and still less of the bright colors of the toucan's beak. Mr. Bates states that they use their beaks for reaching fruit at the extreme tips of the branches, and likewise, as stated by other authors, for extracting eggs and young birds from the nests of other birds. But, as Mr. Bates admits, the beak can scarcely be considered a very perfectly formed instrument for the end to which it is applied. The great bulk of the beak, as shown by its breadth, depth, as well as length, is not intelligible on the view, that it serves merely as an organ of prehension. Mr. Belt believes that the principal use of the beak is as a defense against enemies, especially to the female whilst nesting in a hole in a tree. The naked skin, also at the base of the beak, and round the eyes, is likewise often brilliantly colored, and Mr. Gould, in speaking of one species, Ramphastos carinatus, says that the colors of the beak are doubtless in the finest and most brilliant state during the time of pairing. There is no greater improbability that toucans should be encumbered with immense beaks, though rendered as light as possible by their cancellated structure, for the display of fine colors, an object falsely appearing to us unimportant, 
than that the male argus pheasant and some other birds should be encumbered with plumes so long as to impede their flight in the same manner as the males alone of various species are black the females being dull-coloured so in a few cases the males alone are either wholly or partially white as with the several bell-birds of south america chasmorhynchus the antarctic goose bernicla antarctica the silver peasant etc whilst the females are brown or obscurely mottled therefore on the same principle as before it is probable that both sexes of many birds such as white cockatoos several egrets with their beautiful plumes certain ibises gulls terns etc have acquired their more or less completely white plumage through sexual selection in some of these cases the plumage becomes white only at maturity this is the case with certain gannets tropic birds etc and with the snow goose answer hyperboreus as the latter breeds on the barren grounds when not covered with snow and as it migrates southwards during the winter there is no reason to suppose that its snow-white adult plumage serves as a protection in the anastomus ositans we have still better evidence that the white plumage is a nuptial character for it is developed only during the summer the young in their immature state and the adults in their winter dress being grey and black with many kinds of gulls larus the head and neck become pure white during the summer being grey or mottled during the winter and in the young state on the other hand with the smaller gulls or simus gavia and with some terns sterna exactly the reverse occurs for the heads of the young birds during the first year and of the adults during the winter are either pure white or much paler colored than during the breeding season these latter cases offer another instance of the capricious manner in which sexual selection appears often to have acted the aquatic birds have acquired a white plumage so much oftener than terrestrial birds probably depends on their large size and strong powers of flight so that they can easily defend themselves or escape from birds of prey to which moreover they are not much exposed consequently sexual selection has not here been interfered with or guided for the sake of protection no doubt with birds which roam over the open ocean the males and females could find each other much more easily when made conspicuous either by being perfectly white or intensely black so that these colors may possibly serve the same end as the call notes of many land birds it may be noticed that with vultures which roam far and wide high in the air like marine birds over the ocean three or four species are almost wholly or largely white and that many others are black so that here again conspicuous colors may possibly aid the sexes in finding each other during the breeding season a white or black bird when it discovers and flies down to a carcass floating on the sea or cast up on the beach will be seen from a great distance and will guide other birds of the same and other species to the prey but as this would be a disadvantage to the first finders the individuals which were the whitest or blackest would not thus procure more food than the less strongly colored individuals 
Hence, conspicuous colors cannot have been gradually acquired for this purpose through natural selection. As sexual selection depends on so fluctuating an element as taste, we can understand how it is that, within the same group of birds, having nearly the same habits, there should exist white or nearly white, as well as black or nearly black, species. For instance, both white and black cockatoos, storks, ibises, swans, terns, and petrels. Piebald birds, likewise, sometimes occur in the same groups together with black and white species. For instance, the black-necked swan, certain terns, and the common magpie. That a strong contrast in color is agreeable to birds we may conclude by looking through any large collection, for the sexes often differ from each other in the male having the pale parts of a purer white, and the various colored dark parts of still darker tints than the female. It would even appear that mere novelty, or slight changes for the sake of change, have sometimes acted on female birds as a charm, like changes of fashion with us. Thus the males of some parrots can hardly be said to be more beautiful than the females, at least according to our taste, but they differ in such points as in having a rose-colored collar instead of a bright emeraldine narrow green collar, or in the male having a black collar instead of a yellow demi-collar in front, with a pale roseate instead of a plum-blue head. As so many male birds have elongated tail-feathers, or elongated crests, for their chief ornament, the shortened tail, formerly described in the male of a hummingbird, and the shortened crest of the male goosander, seem like one of the many changes of fashion which we admire in our own dresses. Some members of the heron family offer a still more curious case of novelty in colouring, having, as it appears, been appreciated for the sake of novelty. The young of the Ardea asha are white, the adults being dark slate-coloured, and not only the young, but the adults in their winter plumage of the allied Bufus coromandus are white, this colour changing into a rich golden buff during the breeding season. It is incredible that the young of these two species, as well as of some other members of the same family, the young of Ardea rufescens and A. cerulea of the United States are likewise white, the adults being colored in accordance with their specific names. Audubon seems rather pleased at the thought that this remarkable change of plumage will greatly disconcert the systematists, should for any special purpose have been rendered pure white and thus made conspicuous to their enemies, or that the adults of one of these two species should have been specially rendered white during the winter in a country which is never covered with snow. On the other hand, we have good reason to believe that whiteness has been gained by many birds as a sexual ornament. We may therefore conclude that some early progenitor of the Ardea asha and the Bufas acquired a white plumage for nuptial purposes, and transmitted this color to their young so that the young and the old became white, like certain existing egrets, and that the whiteness was afterwards retained by the young, whilst it was exchanged by the adults for more strongly pronounced tints. But if we could look still further back to the still earlier progenitors of these two species, we should probably see the adults dark-coloured, 
I infer that this would be the case from the analogy of many other birds, which are dark whilst young, and when adult are white, and more especially from the case of the Ardea gularis, the colours of which are the reverse of those of A. asha, for the young are dark-coloured, and the adults white, the young having retained a former state of plumage. It appears, therefore, that during a long line of descent, the adult progenitors of the Ardea asha, the Bufus, and some allies, have undergone the following changes of colour. First, a dark shade, secondly, pure white, and thirdly, owing to another change of fashion, if I may so express myself, their present slaty, reddish or golden buff tints. These successive changes are intelligible only on the principle of novelty having been admired by birds for its own sake. Several writers have objected to the whole theory of sexual selection, by assuming that with animals and savages the taste of the female for certain colors or other ornaments would not remain constant for many generations, that first one color and then another would be admired, and consequently that no permanent effect could be produced. We may admit that taste is fluctuating, but it is not quite arbitrary. It depends much on habit, as we see in mankind, and we may infer that this would hold good with birds and other animals. Even in our own dress, the general character lasts long, and the changes are to a certain extent graduated. Abundant evidence will be given in two places in a future chapter that savages of many races have admired for many generations the same cicatrices on the skin, the same hideously perforated lips, nostrils, or ears, distorted heads, etc., and these deformities present some analogy to the natural ornaments of various animals. Nevertheless, with savages, such fashions do not endure for ever, as we may infer from the differences in this respect between allied tribes on the same continent. So again, the raisers of fancy animals certainly have admired for many generations, and still admire the same breeds. They earnestly desire slight changes, which are considered as improvements, but any great or sudden change is looked at as the greatest blemish. With birds in a state of nature, we have no reason to suppose that they would admire an entirely new style of coloration, even if great and sudden variations often occurred, which is far from being the case. We know that the dovecot pigeons do not willingly associate with the variously colored fancy breeds, that albino birds do not commonly get partners in marriage, and that the black ravens of the Faroe Islands chase away their piebald brethren. But this dislike of a sudden change would not preclude their appreciating slight changes any more than it does in the case of man. Hence, with respect to taste, which depends on many elements, but partly on habit and partly on a love of novelty, there seems no improbability in animals admiring for a very long period the same general style of ornamentation or other attractions, and yet appreciating slight changes in colors, form, or sound. Summary of the Four Chapters on Birds Most male birds are highly pugnacious during the breeding season and some possess weapons adapted for fighting with their rivals. 
but the most pugnacious and the best armed males rarely or never depend for success solely on their power to drive away or kill their rivals but have special means for charming the female with some it is the power of song or of giving forth strange cries or instrumental music and the males in consequence differ from the females in their vocal organs or in the structure of certain feathers from the curiously diversified means for producing various sounds we gain a high idea of the importance of this means of courtship many birds endeavor to charm the females by love-dances or antics performed on the ground or in the air and sometimes as prepared places but ornaments of many kinds the most brilliant tints combs and wattles beautiful plumes elongated feathers top-knots and so forth are by far the commonest means in some cases mere novelty appears to have acted as a charm the ornaments of the males must be highly important to them for they have been acquired in not a few cases at the cost of increased danger from enemies and even at some loss of power in fighting with their rivals the males of very many species do not assume their ornamental dress until they arrive at maturity or they assume it only during the breeding season or the tints then become more vivid certain ornamental appendages become enlarged turgid and brightly colored during the act of courtship the males display their charms with elaborate care and to the best effect and this is done in the presence of the females the courtship is sometimes a prolonged affair and many males and females congregate at an appointed place to suppose that the females do not appreciate the beauty of the males is to admit that their splendid decorations all their pomp and display are useless and this is incredible birds have fine powers of discrimination and in some few instances it can be shown that they have a taste for the beautiful the females moreover are known occasionally to exhibit a marked preference or antipathy for certain individual males if it be admitted that the females prefer or are unconsciously excited by the more beautiful males then the males would slowly but surely be rendered more and more attractive through sexual selection that it is the sex which has been chiefly modified we may infer from the fact that in almost every genus where the sexes differ the males differ much more from one another than do the females this is well shown in certain closely allied representative species in which the females can hardly be distinguished whilst the males are quite distinct birds in a state of nature offer individual differences which would amply suffice for the work of sexual selection but we have seen that they occasionally present more strongly marked variations which recur so frequently that they would immediately be fixed if they served to allure the female the laws of variation must determine the nature of the initial changes and will have largely influenced the final result the gradations which may be observed between males of allied species indicate the nature of the steps through which they have passed they explain also in the most interesting manner how certain characters have originated such as the indented ocelli on the tail feathers of the peacock and the ball and socket ocelli on the wing feathers of the argus pheasant it is evident that the brilliant colors top-knots fine plumes etc of many male birds 
cannot have been acquired as a protection, indeed they sometimes lead to danger, that they are not due to the direct and definite action of the conditions of life, we may feel assured, because the females have been exposed to the same conditions, and yet often differ from the males to an extreme degree. Although it is probable that changed conditions, acting during a lengthened period, have in some cases produced a definite effect on both sexes, or sometimes on one sex alone, the more important result will have been an increased tendency to vary or to present more strongly marked individual differences, and such differences will have afforded an excellent groundwork for the action of sexual selection. The laws of inheritance, irrespectively of selection, appear to have determined whether the characters acquired by the males for the sake of ornament, for producing various sounds, and for fighting together, have been transmitted to the males alone, or to both sexes, either permanently or periodically, during certain seasons of the year. Why various characters should have been transmitted, sometimes in one way and sometimes in another, is not, in most cases, known but the period of variability seems often to have been the determining cause. When the two sexes have inherited all characters in common, they necessarily resemble each other, but as the successive variations may be differently transmitted, every possible gradation may be found, even within the same genus, from the closest similarity to the widest dissimilarity between the sexes. With many closed allied species, following nearly the same habits of life, the males have come to differ from each other chiefly through the action of sexual selection, whilst the females have come to differ chiefly from partaking more or less of the characters thus acquired by the males. The effects, moreover, of the definite action of the conditions of life will not have been masked in the females as in the males, by the accumulation through sexual selection of strongly pronounced colors and other ornaments. The individuals of both sexes, however affected, will have been kept at each successive period nearly uniform by the free intercrossing of many individuals. With species in which the sexes differ in color, it is possible or probable that some of the successive variations often tended to be transmitted equally to both sexes, but that when this occurred the females were prevented from acquiring the bright colors of the males, by the destruction which they suffered during incubation. There is no evidence that it is possible by natural selection to convert one form of transmission into another, but there would not be the least difficulty in rendering a female dull-colored, the male being still kept bright-colored, by the selection of successive variations, which were from the first limited in their transmission to the same sex. Whether the females of many species have actually been thus modified must at present remain doubtful. When, through the law of the equal transmission of characters to both sexes, the females were rendered as conspicuously colored as the males, their instincts appear often to have been modified so that they were led to build domed or concealed nests. In one small and curious class of cases, the characters and habits of the two sexes have been completely transposed, for the females are larger, stronger, more vociferous, and brightly colored than the males. They have also become so quarrelsome that they often fight together for the possession of the males, like the males of other pugnacious species for the possession of the females. 
if as seems probable such females habitually drive away their rivals and by the display of their bright colours or other charms endeavour to attract the males we can understand how it is that they have gradually been rendered by sexual selection and sexually limited transmission more beautiful than the males the latter being left unmodified or only slightly modified whenever the law of inheritance at corresponding ages prevails but not that of sexually limited transmission then if the parents vary late in life and we know that this constantly occurs with our poultry and occasionally with other birds the young will be left unaffected whilst the adults of both sexes will be modified if both these laws of inheritance prevail and either sex varies late in life that sex alone will be modified the other sex and the young being unaffected when variations in brightness or in other conspicuous characters occur early in life as no doubt often happens they will not be acted on through sexual selection until the period of reproduction arrives consequently if dangerous to the young they will be eliminated through natural selection thus we can understand how it is that variations arising late in life have so often been preserved for the ornamentation of the males the females and the young being left almost unaffected and therefore like each other with species having a distinct summer and winter plumage the males of which either resemble or differ from the females during both seasons or during the summer alone the degrees and kinds of resemblance between the young and the old are exceedingly complex and this complexity apparently depends on characters first acquired by the males being transmitted in various ways and degrees as limited by age sex and season as the young of so many species have been but little modified in color and in other ornaments we are enabled to form some judgment with respect to the plumage of their early progenitors and we may infer that the beauty of our existing species if we look to the whole class has been largely increased since that period of which the immature plumage gives us an indirect record many birds especially those which live much on the ground have undoubtedly been obscurely colored for the sake of protection in some instances the upper exposed surface of the plumage has been thus colored in both sexes whilst the lower surface in the males alone has been variously ornamented through sexual selection finally from the facts given in these four chapters we may conclude that weapons for battle organs for producing sound ornaments of many kinds bright and conspicuous colors have generally been acquired by the males through variation and sexual selection and have been transmitted in various ways according to the several laws of inheritance the females and the young being left comparatively but little modified i am greatly indebted to the kindness of mr sclater for having looked over these four chapters on birds and the two following ones on mammals in this way i have been saved from making mistakes about the names of the species and from stating anything as a fact which is known to this distinguished naturalist to be erroneous but of course he is not at all answerable for the accuracy of the statements quoted by me from various authorities End of section twenty four